words are worlds. And when you have those words, when you have this idea, you have the metaphor, which is another way nature is so healing, is through those metaphors, then there's a lot of freedom there to really dig into who you are, who you are in relationship to your family and the wider world. Hey, it's Agrita Dandrao here, and welcome to Mindful of Everything, the podcast that cultivates a space for socially and environmentally conscious minds, actively striving to achieve greater ecological and community healing for a safer and healthier planet. A couple of weeks ago, I got the wonderful opportunity to interview Dr. Alison Davis, a researcher, writer, counsellor and educator of maternal mental health. Using an eco-feminist and strength-based developmental framework, Alison helps mothers challenge and reimagine motherhood practices and norms, which includes helping mothers reconnect to ancestral wisdom and pursuing personal and planetary wellness. In this episode, Alison and I discuss how valuing generational wisdom carried forward by mothers and providing better maternal support can help re-envision modern environmentalism that doesn't reinforce those oppressive systems which undermine womanhood and indigenous knowledge. Welcome, Alison, to Mindful of Everything. I am very excited to be having a conversation with the podcast after such a long time. So thank you so much for accepting to come on the show today. Oh, I'm excited to be here. And I hope that our conversation serves someone who's listening and um, can make a difference. I'd like to start off the episode by asking you, what does motherhood mean for you? How has motherhood that you have experienced shaped you as a person? Okay, well... It's a big one <laughs> right off the bat. <laughs> yeah. Um, getting warmed up. But I think of motherhood as the state of being a mother. Yeah. And a mother is any being who engages in care work that centers nurturing and protection mm-hmm. within relationship. So that's kind of something I highlight a lot as a central part of their life. So these are ideas from motherhood scholars like O'Reilly and Lord and Ruddick. But the point is that anyone can mother. And I even open that to systems we might call things, like nature, so we can recognize the ways we're interrelated and and care for one another. So that's kind of my idea of mother. It's really big. (laughs) (laughs) Definitely. But you summarized it really, really well. I first reached out to you because I was, and still really am, fascinated with the intersection of motherhood and environmentalism. It's a realm which is often left out of conventional science and Western environmental practices, as one can expect. When did you begin to explore this intersection for yourself? Did it start off in your professional life or was it something that you picked up in your personal life? Yeah, well, that might go to your first question too about kind of how motherhood has shifted me and uh, shaped me. It's, you know, been pretty interesting journey so far and I'm just um, almost four years in and I'm pregnant right now. So I get to start this, this developmental period over again. But it's really tied me more closely to the story of the planet. That's been one of the biggest changes. And I kind of describe that as longitudinal awareness. (laughs) But it expanded my experience of deep time, to use Joanna Macy's term, exploring how we find ourselves in lineage in reference to 
like geologic time. Oh, okay. Human life is pretty short. And it expanded my latitudinal awareness or um, my experience of being in a really wide context with other living beings. So it was kind of this, you know, I've shared this in other places, but it's a very difficult shift for me. It's something I notice in other mothers too, but uh, mothering a child can make you really acutely aware of the future <laughs> in ways that maybe some of us weren't before. Yeah, definitely. As we become less focused on our lifespans and we're starting to look at a child and think, what is the world going to be like when they're a grandparent? Um, so ex exploring the environmental aspects of mental health that came with a shift or what I'm calling awakening to the ecological self uh, was really difficult for me and I didn't find a lot of support. So it started this whole realm of investigation, finding people in community that spoke of kind of this experience in a, a way that didn't pathologize it. When I went to get support, a lot of people were like, you know what? <laughs> I don't know what's going on here. Maybe I should refer you. But I think that, you know, this ability to experience ourselves as part of a larger whole happens in so many phases of our life. But I think I'm really interested in the way this happens with mothers and how we can support this. So, so do you think that mothers have an inherent sense of responsibility in managing the environments that they are living in and their families are living in? Um, I would say no. <laughs> I mean, I think <laughs> not any more than any other person. I, I think every human has a responsibility mm -hmm. to themselves and their systems and their selves as systems and systems as selves. You know, we have these systems that are biological, psychological, social, cultural, and I add the ecological onto what is known as that biopsychosocial model of health. And so I, I don't think mothers have any more responsibility um, yeah. or that they're better at it, <laughs> doing it in an ecologically sound way. But what I'm seeing is new mothers have this pattern of this like crippling anxiety coming on really suddenly because of eco-fear or grief and anxiety about the yeah about climate change, and it can be really overwhelming. So what I'm thinking, that rather than this being like a mental health problem, as it's often discussed, but it can be a framed as an awakening and opportunity, where mothers can become more accountable, I think I like the word accountable, to their um, systems, like their selves as systems in systems. And I think that we should all really be thinking about <laughs> deep time constantly, uh, about ourselves that are interdependent, interrelated beings. But it's a big shift. So what seems to come on pretty suddenly, and there's like, there's lots of things we could talk about. Is it related to the brain shifts? You know, we know that the brain changes through early parenting in general, or the hormones, you know, all these things can make us more protective or, you know, more relational almost. So this increased capacity for relational self-understanding, I see it as the catalyst that sets mothers on these really varied paths of self-development and growth. Mm -hmm as they work to resolve the ways our lives to this point has diminished our ability to be in relationship to human and more than human world, but also in individual relationship and collective relationship. So I see mothers taking that path out of their anxiety and depression about climate change towards um, ways that benefit their system, but I also see it the other way, you know, and towards ways that don't benefit their systems. And that's kind of how, where my passion is, is coming in and support. How can we support this process? Because as a counselor, I know when people become aware of a problem, often suddenly or feel urgency around it, if they don't find a path where they can feel successful, yeah. they'll close that gap in another way. And it's not necessarily always skillful or in ways that are healthy for themselves and others. So I can see kind of um, how the ecological self-awakening can go into some areas that aren't great for 
relationality at all. Yeah, definitely. Building on this um, whole thing where motherhood brings a lot of emotional, physical, mental and social challenges, especially for uh, new mothers, as you mentioned. What about generational trauma? A lot of people, especially in families where mothers are the primary caregivers, they are expected to tend to and also heal generational traumas, specifically linking to the environment. Generational traumas that are linked to environmental injustices, for example, families not having access to clean green and blue spaces. So what is your take on that? Do you think that mothers play a pivotal role in not only shaping the environments that they're in, the biophysical environments that they're in and their families are in, but also trying to heal the sort of generational traumas that are linked to environmental injustices? Well, so I think about this as... um the developmental period of motherhood is known as matricins. And that's a phrase um, given to us or revived for us by Dr. Orly Athen at Columbia. And so it's this time when, and it can be like years, it's not necessarily like instantaneous, yeah. where mothers go through profound shifts in all these areas you mentioned, the biopsychosocial, political, cultural, mm-hmm. spiritual. And then I'm looking at the ecological with Dr. Athen she's mentoring me in this this area of research. So I like to frame it as growth, right? We're growing in these areas and we always have growing pains and um, holding challenge within this larger perspective gives us so much to draw on, builds resilience into the framework and it just shifts the conversation, right? Out of this PMAD model where we're focusing on disorder that we need to fix. So within that perspective, I think that healing traumas can be really empowering. And especially when I talk to people about the idea of epigenetics and intergenerational trauma and this Mm -hmm. in your body. And also, (laughs) there's no better trigger than a child. I know someone's going to relate to that, (laughs) but (laughs) it's uniquely triggering to you. And an example of that is like, I've always had, you know, I've been, I'm a survivor of of sexual assault and I've had issues around touch and body and safety. And um, that became just right confronted Mm -hmm. every second (laughs) almost with my, with my first child. And um, it led to some really profound healing because I got to see like, Oh, I, you know, I need to work on this in a new way now. Um, And so it gives you invitations for seeing where you're wounded and where you can go into the wound and help create that scar, as Gloria Anzaldúa says, that can become a bridge to maybe a new self or maybe new connections with others. And so that's kind of how I approach this, which is why I call kind of what we're talking about the foundational mother wound. So this is what I talk about when I'm looking at this intergenerational trauma that is a ruptured attachment to our place, our environmental systems, um, and the natural world. And I do think, you know, I think that a lot of mothers are feeling this wounding. And I like to label it this way for a number of reasons, but just labeling it and honoring it like this pain is coming from a place. Because <laughs> a lot of times um, with intergenerational trauma, it's like I've worked and worked in therapy and I just can't, you know, shift this. And it's like, well, it may be because it's not from your lifetime. <laughs> so let's look at it in that larger longitudinal framework or that deep time and kind of see where a split might have happened. Yeah. And for me, I have a lot of orphans in my lineages. And that's something I've been doing ancestral healing for about five years now. 
just digging into this and, and doing it in a number of different kind of like, it's like a gym. You can always turn it and look at it from a different way. But that's been really empowering for me to see how the narrative of the orphan has shaped my experience and my family's experience. Um, and then, you know, my larger family's experience because my great grandmother was one of the last living survivors on the orphan train in the United States, oh. which is where they ship kids they didn't want anymore in New York down to other families who might want them for various reasons. And it's something my family really attached to as a narrative. And then talking to my great-grandmother, there was always a hesitance to talk about her experiences. And yeah. I just, you know, I kind of reflect on, through the course of my life, the difference in her reality, my family's reshaping of the reality, the unaddressed trauma because of that kind of toxic positivity yeah. that that was approached with. Um, and so that gave me some some ways to dig into a foundational mother wound, this disconnection from place, and then kind of see the ways that she was working with that. She was a huge gardener. Most of my memories were her in a rose garden, but just prolific gardener. <laughs> I haven't ever been able to achieve those kind of roses. But this gave an, a lens which I could use personally to look at my mother wound, my foundational mother wound, um, and understand it as something that was empowering me to, you know, I was empowered through addressing yeah. it, through understanding it through generations. And, you know, also look at the shifts that could happen through generations of this relational work, which it's like coming back to life again, to quote Macy and Brown um, in their book on the work that reconnects, but it's also carries a ton of grief. So there has to be that motivating empowering lens to kind of carry that through. And it's a life process. I think we're so separated from the environment and our ability to connect with it because of colonialism and the supremacy that came with that and is still with that. You know, we're living it every day. So yeah, yeah that's a lot of deep work to be done. Yes, definitely. You touched on the mother wound really beautifully. Um, that was something I wanted to ask you further. How can we actually utilize the mother wound, the foundational mother wound, in helping people to understand our ecological crises further. So you mentioned that the mother wound can help us understand where the gaps were throughout generations and the sort of trauma healing that hadn't happened before. How can we revisit that now? But in terms of the larger scale, so the ecological and the climate crises that we are experiencing, is there a way that we can use this mother wound kind of lens to explore these crises further? Yeah, I, I hope so. <laughs> you know, I was really hesitant to use the term mother in relationship to nature because of how mother is uh, understood in this dominant cultural framework. Yeah, But I, I decided to, upon discussing it with Dr. Athen and doing some research into kind of the critique of ecofeminist thought, that kind of uses that association in certain ways. But I mean, I think that the reason we can kind of talk about that separately, but the reason I think it's an opportunity is we all know we have powerful relationships with place. As soon as I name that, um, you know, my specialty is anxiety. I work clinically. I don't foreground the environment any more than, you know, the social, cultural, psychological, biological, but it's present. Mm -hmm. And so as soon as I name it as present, it opens up so much for mothers. So we know it's present, even as we might not um, be aware of it. That makes sense. And we know our current separation is causing us this pain. 
And I think that pain is what really honors this essential connection. And so I see us as undermothered. Most of us are living indoor lives. The 93% statistic that I'm seeing, I'm, I'm using that a lot. By some estimations, we're in our homes, cars, and workplaces. And so we're just seeing this green wall to use um, Robin Wall Kimmerer's term. We don't know the species. We don't know the people, the more than human people outside. And so we're erasing nature's maternal thinking and caregiving labor to kind of use that idea of mothering that I spoke about earlier, the mother work of earth and all it's nurturing. We're missing that. Mm -hmm. And it's limited our ability to be in that harmonious relationship to ourselves and, and others because we're missing this huge part of what it means to be human. And so repairing this attachment means reweaving an animus lineage or that worldview that perceives life as life. Yeah. You know, perceives all things as animated and alive. So that's why I use the mother wound to recognize the role nature has played in who we are and is playing in who we're becoming, even as we might have this like mental veil over that role and to open discussion of like, how do we get out of this ping pong of our understanding of child development between one single person, one single person, both fallible, right? And expand it to our evolutionary environment that is always offered what you know, eco-psychologists use the technical term ecosystem services, which I found, uh, <laughs> you know, uh, it's another reason I, I like to use the, the word mothering for what nature's doing, as we're using all this science to understand it, yeah. to really emphasize that relationality and that nature is alive. It's not just healing us. You know, there's a two-way interaction here. Yeah. And it has to be reciprocal. Kind of linking back to uh, the mention of orphans, especially how you said that in your family you have quite a few. Whenever we consider the intersection of motherhoods to environmentalism, one of the first things we obviously think about is birthing. As you mentioned, it's earth that gives birth to all life on this planet. That's the narrative that we hear in ancient and indigenous cultures um, where they respect earth as their own mother. And you see this respect that is being replicated for birth mothers in the same cultures as well. But like you said, and like we know, mothering is not just limited to the motherhood that birth moms experience. It extends to adoptive mothers, transgender mothers, stepmothers, and also mother figures who have no familial kind of relationship to us. So do you think there is a way that we can kind of change the narrative of ancestral environmental wisdom that's carried forward by birth mothers to one which is more inclusive of all mothers and also mother figures? Yeah, I'm, I think one of the things I see entering this space a number of years ago and really centering kind of mothering is that mothering metaphors are so powerful. Mm -hmm. You know, they could be quite essentialist, though, like you're talking about giving our understanding in our dominant culture of who a mother is. Yeah. And that ties to this mother myth, the good mother myth, which ties to neoliberalism and pulling out any safety structure in our society and speeding up the pace of work, like, you know, this insane factory so that we don't have community and other mothers and people present and we have this inequality in the home and we're isolated. So, like, all that's tied to that. <laughs> um you know, and I think that I'm really happy you, you pulled in indigenous, you know, science about our relationship with nature and how mothering is centered there because I'm really influenced by Viola Cordova, who shares in her book, How It Is, the Native American philosophy about being human. She talks about we become human as we deepen our relationship to our people and place and as we understand our responsibilities that grow from these relationships. So 
becoming human by understanding our unique purpose is this ongoing birth. Yeah. Um, we're always becoming more fully human. And it really spoke to me, you know, I, I think of birth as a process, right? We think of it maybe in our dominant culture as like a moment. Mm -hmm. We're in labor, you know, this period of time, right? But I'm, I've been birthing this baby inside of me for months. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe, maybe, you know, much before because we have to think about reproductive identity, which is another term brought to us by Dr. Athen last year, which starts way before preconception almost. And then also, Mattresses. So this developmental period where a mother's developing with a child, like it's an extended birth process. So we really transition in slow ways. And so I think about birth as this developmental process. So I don't really talk about birth that much, <laughs> right? Because within kind of the system that I'm often talking about in, it's, it's not, it doesn't bring what I'm talking about to mind. But outside of our, our current kind of conversation, there's this larger birth crisis where we're struggling to birth a new world together. So that's something I do talk about because I think it's a process requiring some specialist knowledge about how to bring that care and nurturing and protection to everyone through this transition. So I'm asking a lot of questions about that awakening experience of mothers in what I hope is a increasingly representative way. And when I'm asking people about this ecological awakening, I'm hearing about the act of mothering rather than the birth, like any birth experience. Okay. And so that actually reflects the research on spiritual awakenings in mothers, which is done with, you know, men and women and non, non-binary non mothers. And in that research, which is um, by Athen and Miller out of Columbia and their uh, Mind-Body Institute, the focus is also on that act of mothering. So it's the relationality, the actions, the the long extended birth that really has this profound effect in the research. And I also know birthing experiences really do shift people. But that's not what's showing up in my research when I'm talking about this uh, ecological self. So I think that changing that narrative and centering indigenous wisdom is super important. did some work on pipeline. I was uh, my, during my first birth and first year postpartum, I was an elected official working to resist a pipeline, resisting water privatization fairly unsuccessfully, but I was watching, you know, indigenous women, you know, largely the activists fighting Keystone, and the language was always Mother Earth. And, you know, I think that's something that we all need to be centering, like looking to indigenous people, especially women and mothers fighting these fossil fuel systems, for instance, you know, because they've taught for a long time the science of this interconnection. Yes. And, you know, what we're seeing when we're framing Mother Nature with an animus personhood, through interdependence, you know, through the responsibility and accountability that comes with a living system, I felt much more at ease for saying Mother Nature, (laughs) because this concept is so outside of colonial white supremacist patriarchal ways of understanding. It doesn't uphold the male-female binary that, you know, is responsible for someone's violence based in mutual thriving, loving respect. It's not erasing difference to be a mother. Yeah. Right? There's no good mother concept in that kind of system, except for, you know, how you're enacting your responsibility. So I think a lot of feminist critique has sounded a bit like nature's oppressed. So if we take that line of argument that says women are really close to nature naturally, we could hurt women's equality. Yeah. And I just don't think that that makes sense from this framework. That was the next question I wanted to ask you about the critique around the cultural (laughs) eco-feminist approach, where 
people feel as if we are going to be reinforcing gender roles that are placed by patriarchal societies if we were to conserve this relationship, the traditional relationship women have had with conserving nature. But like you said, it is more powerful than a sort of obstacle in solving gender inequities in terms of environmental injustices. So you basically answered my question about that. Yeah, well, I mean, I think we need some arguments that are really context specific. Yeah. And when we look at lineages, um, or when we look at like earth honoring ways of being, I don't think we can appropriate other people's. I think that that's really a problem in the wellness world as people are awakening to these ideas, especially white settlers like me, you know, we have a lot of work to do to try to find lineage respectful ways of engaging with earth honoring practices and ways of being. You know, so context-specific in that way, intersectional. I think a lot of these arguments, I'm thinking of uh, Wangari Maathai yeah. and the Green Movement, like who's working closely with the elements or a plant, and that gives them standpoint knowledge, to use Patricia Hill Collins' kind of idea, that recognizes that because of that standpoint, they have really valuable things to contribute. They're, they're the only ones that will have this knowledge because of the ways they're you know, their standpoint in the world, who they're seen to be, but also um, the work they're able to do because of their social location. And so in that instance, you know, she was recognizing that women were walking for hours to find wood because of the clear cutting, and it was affecting them in all these many ways. And also that unique knowledge about the importance of planting trees and nurturing them. So it comes in from from a really specific context that I, I don't think can be read in a way that, you know, I think all people traditionally, historically, maybe before, you know, colonialism, we're close to the earth. And I think that's kind of how we need to think about it intersectionally and seeing our, our relationship now and how we can expand that and deepen it while also thinking about and solving and hopefully working through these interlocking systems that are hurting people on the planet and doing so in ways that don't reinforce those harmful systems like the gender binary. Yes, definitely. So do you think that Focusing on motherhood and the sort of indigenous practices that embody traditionally feminine qualities that we view as feminine, but for indigenous cultures, it's not really just limited to femininity. Do you think that if we were to focus in on the motherhood aspect of environmental practices, that it can kind of help us in personifying nature and the natural world more? You know, I, I don't. <laughs> I, I center mothers. One of the reasons is because I've, I worked for almost a decade with adolescents. So in, in my environmental activism prior to becoming a mother, I was also a nature-centered ecotherapist for adolescents. Okay. And I use mother work as this concept as it was developed within my, my background of women and gender studies, which is my PhD, to talk about activism from that standpoint of relationality. So in some ways, yeah, I obviously thought that that was a <laughs> a shift that was important in terms of activism from interdependence and interrelationship and um, getting out of a, a lot of what sometimes is like white saviorism for the environment and really looking at ourselves and the solution, but like the problem, like whiteness is a pathology and it really needs to be addressed that way. But also, <laughs> like I think it was a reaction to the activism that felt very competitive uh, and violent. And that was my experience as a, as a, you know, politician <laughs> and a community organizer. I was a union organizer, but working for a state agency. So there was a lot of intersection with other issues. 
And I think that's why I centered mothering as my language around activism. But I worked with mothers clinically, always secondary to an adolescent, (laughs) which is so classic because, you know, in child development, the mother is just an object. And as I became a mother myself, you know, working with mothers, I really started to critique that in my training and in the work that I was doing. And so I wanted to reframe. The way people were addressing me when I sought support was objectifying. And I found a lot of violence in the psychology of mothers. And so I started to research. Um, I did find a mentor to work with who approached this period developmentally, actually calling it matricence, like I keep saying, which was so appropriate because I had focused on adolescence. And it's something I hadn't heard before. So I just wanted to dedicate um, my work to centering mothers because mothers deserve to be valued and centered, you know, researched in an inclusive, multi-voice way that doesn't objectify them. And so that's kind of what, where I shifted. And I do work from a multicultural feminist or eco-feminist informed standpoint. So it's always about creating change, positive change in individual lives and the collective lives. So I talk about personal to planetary wellness and really thinking about my role as someone who's a helping professional to help shift the structures that are creating this harm instead of really individualizing the, the structures, you know, and almost making us feel bad for it. So that's kind of why I've shifted in, in this way and, you know, really believe in the transformative nature of mattresses and that mothers have some wisdom and knowledge to share from their standpoint that can be useful. But I don't privilege it, if that makes sense. I think that that's important because anytime we're talking about awakening, it can really slide into um, some discussions that aren't empowering mm-hmm. for anybody, right? It can be some of this old school normative good mother nonsense, which has really just been oppressing mothers for generations. In terms of the counseling that you do, how do you help mothers, especially mothers who haven't been mothers before, in understanding that motherhood is actually a process and the concept of birthing is not just a moment, it is a lifetime journey? Because when you mentioned that, it actually hit me. Um, I usually kind of view birthing as just a moment and is something that birth mothers would experience. Yeah. How do you help women kind of understand that motherhood is not just what we have seen traditionally? It's much more than that. Yeah. And, you know, with my specialty in um, LGBTQI you know, issues, I also work with non, you know, women identified mothers. Yeah. And I think we looking at reproductive identity through an intersectional lens really just blows that up because, you know, in a, in a good way, <laughs> like expands the frame of what I mean in terms of like photography. And you're able to think like, oh, so this is an identity formation process. I can go back to who I thought a mother was. I can work with it. I can change it. I can shift it. You know, and I think that that's a really important concept right now because around environmentalism, mothering is often talked about as like, we need to control that <laughs> reproductive, you know, energy. Yeah. So that's, that's another discussion. But, you know, and so kind of reframing it this way and having it in this kind of longer life band developmental perspective, it's a real quick shift for people, which is why, you know, I do things like this and come on and, and try to talk about it in this way, because like words are worlds, as Dr. Athens says, uh, and she's the one that revived mattresses. And when you have those words, when you have this idea, you have the metaphor, which is another way nature is so healing is through those metaphors, then there's a lot of freedom there to really dig into who you are, who you are in relationship to your family and the wider world. So I think just the concepts, you know, Bell Hooks also talks about theory is liberatory. And I think that this is really an important one. 
But that idea of adolescence as matricens is also this kind of idea where people are like, oh, there was a time when we treated teenagers like they were going just nuts. <laughs> right? so, Still do. <laughs> and we put, yeah, we pot, well, yeah. But I think we've really shifted as a culture. Instead of pathologizing teenagers, Definitely. we see that they're going through this intense process of becoming, which is why I was so drawn to teenagers. You know, they take becoming seriously. <laughs> you know, yeah. they're like, and you know, they're they're amazing to work with because they just inspire you to know that you're becoming every day. Yeah. And so I found so much joy in working with them. And when you approach mothering from that perspective, where it's not something that you're supposed to innately know, you know, this idea of the natural mother, I think really needs mm-hmm. to be problematized and, and possibly reframed and re- reclaimed. But there's so much guilt and like, I don't know how to do this. <laughs> right? You're like, oh, that's because it's a process, you know, and they're like, oh, okay. And within that process, it's, there's a million ways to do it. So let's figure out your way. And what are some ways that you want to investigate how you want to shape or articulate your own way? That's one of the, I really believe in theory. I really believe in, in writing and conversations like this to just share ideas and people can take them in so many pathways. So one of the things I do is I, I work clinically in, in my state where my license is and I do one-off assessments and referrals. So I will meet with um, someone who is pregnant, someone who's thinking about adopting, um, a new mother. Uh, sometimes like I had a call three years out. Am I still a new mom? I'm like, yeah, um, mattresses can last like 10 years or a lifetime. <laughs> so uh, it's just, it's like you do the work when you have that capacity. And so we'll meet for an hour and a half and kind of really go through the environmental kind of system lens and then decide like, what are some future streams of support in your actual place in the world? Right. Because I think a big problem is taking this all online <laughs> to this human. Um, built, created, mirror, echo chamber, and missing out on the representative community in our home places. So I think this has to be, healing needs to be place-based, contextualized, and include the more than human world. Otherwise, it kind of replicates those anthropocentric, <laughs> you know, that's a hard word, but those human-centered, um, human exceptionalism problems and traumas. If you could speak to all mothers and mother figures in the world today, who are working towards or attempting to work towards conserving our ecosystems for our current generation, but also future generations. What would your message be to them in terms of reimagining modern environmentalism through the motherhood lens? Well, you know, I might just ask questions because that's why, <laughs> uh, you know, I, I want to amplify the knowledge that is already within mothers yeah. um, and, and have mothers know that it's like in them and surround them in an ever present moment. But I'm just so in awe of mother work, you know, so now that I've become a mother, I mean, I, I worked with teens that were highly in trouble with the law who had been abused and were recovering and the person that always showed up for them was their mother. Um, And not always bio mom, like, you know, who they thought of as mother. Mm. And just, you know, that all touches me so much. How mothers situate their advocacy in this radical relatedness, this unconditionality. And so if a mother is struggling and listening to this, I'd encourage, I'd encourage you to reach out for the care, the nurturing and the protection you need from the many mothers always around you always in your company or really, really close by, right? The sky, the trees, you know, the plants that are all there. It can feel like an isolated form of work. And um, also to know 
you're not alone, right? That's just this mental veil that we've, you know, that's the mother wound. But you're connected to the wisdom of all mothers in your line, human and non-human, blood and affinity related. Yeah. And uh, they're there to support you. And so I think just the hope that I find that as we reweave support for ourselves in this way, you know, by opening to this more expansive ecological self and community, we're also simultaneously mending and tending this web of mothering support for others that's going to create a more sustainable way of being human and, you know, raising other humans. Thank you so much again, Alison, for coming on today and imparting your wisdom on sort of reimagining environmentalism through the motherhood lens. For a buzzing ecofeminist like myself, this conversation really acted as an opportunity for me, and I'm really sure the audience as well, to holistically approach frameworks that are already intersectional, but also be unlearning and relearning environmental knowledge along the way. So thank you for giving that opportunity to us today. Hey, thank you for holding this space and for, you know, having this lens on, you know, how we can we can advocate for ourselves and the environment. Thank you for listening to the Mindful of Everything podcast. To access Alison's services, blog and podcast, visit motherpractice.com and head over to mindfuloveverything.com for the episode's show notes and key resources. Support the podcast by giving a five-star podcast review, following the podcast on Instagram and Facebook, and purchasing eco-friendly merchandise to help fund the podcast.